Thank you for listening to this week's podcast from Victory Baptist Church in Hope Mills, North Carolina. I pray that God uses this message to help you worship God, strengthen your relationship, and glorify Him. Without further ado, here is this week's message. All right. Well, good morning again, everybody. Um, If you would go ahead and open your Bibles to Hebrews chapter 8. We are currently working our way through the book of Hebrews. Um, And what I've said several times throughout this series is that Hebrews is one of my favorite books. And one of the reasons that I love this book so much is that the author really does a good job of highlighting the continuity between the Old Testament and the New Testament. Uh, He does this by showing how Jesus fulfills many of the Old Testament prophecies and replaces many of the Old Testament practices. Uh, This leads to many quotes and allusions and imagery from the Old Testament. So throughout this series, I've tried to really bring those Old Testament references to light. Um, This morning, we're going to be in chapter 8, verses 1 through 6. And the title of this is, Jesus is Greater Than the Old Testament Priests, Part 5. Or we could say, Final, because this is going to be the last sermon in this little mini-series within the series. Um, and the, the, the main idea of this sermon is that Jesus' ministry is superior. Now that's just basically another way of restating the title because what the author is doing here is he's kind of summarizing everything that he's said so far and, and formulating that into a, a final point. Uh, so this is the last part of this little mini-series within the series. Now these six verses we can break down into kind of three sub Part, uh, subpoints, and that would be the true tabernacle, the ultimate sacrifice, and then copy and shadow. So I'm going to pray, and we'll go ahead and get into, these te- into this text. Heavenly Father, Lord, we thank you for your word. We thank you for what your word teaches us. Lord, we know that we are sinful, and that we don't measure up to your holiness, not even close. So as we open up your word, I pray that you will show us how we are not like you, and make us more like you. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. You guys give me just a moment. I'm going to take a sip. All right, so we'll go ahead and get right into this text, starting in Hebrews chapter 8, verse 1. He says, Now the main point of what is being said is this. We have this kind of high priest, who sat down at the right hand of the throne of the majesty in heaven a minister of the sanctuary and the true tabernacle that was set up by the Lord and not man. So he says the main point, right? So the author is summarizing the argument that he started all the way back in chapter four, right? So I said, I've already said, this is part five of our mini series within a series called Jesus is greater than the high priest or the Old Testament priests. So part one contrasted Jesus's sinlessness with the Old Testament priests sinfulness, Part two highlighted the fact that Jesus fulfilled the prophecy of a Messiah who would combine the offices of the king and the priest. Then part three focused on uh, Jesus's priesthood being in the order of Melchizedek, which predated the Levitical priesthood and acts as a priest to the Levites. And then part four, which was actually broken down into two sermons, focused on the fact that Jesus's ministry could actually draw us to close and Jesus' ministry could actually draw us close to God, whereas the Old Testament priests couldn't do that. And then part five, which is today's sermon, is a summary of those arguments, which I just did, so I'll pray and we'll be dismissed. I'm just kidding. Uh, The author, he's going to do more than just summarize these points. Uh, He's going to synthesize these points into one final argument. So he says, this kind of high priest, this kind of high priest that sat down at the right hand of the majesty in heavens. 
the right, the right hand of the throne of the majesty in the heavens. So this circles back to an idea that came up earlier in this letter, all the way back in chapter 1, verse 3. Hebrews chapter 1, verse 3 says, After making purification for sins, Jesus sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high. So this is a, a pretty huge contrast from the work of the Levitical priests. See, throughout the Old Testament, we see the priests constantly working. They're making sacrifices. They're purifying homes. They're making sacrifices. They're making fire at the altar. They're making sacrifices and more sacrifices. There's a lot of work to be done for these Old Testament priests. It was a bloody, never-ending job. And the sacrifices were insufficient to atone for sins. Not to mention, the people were not being drawn near to God, and the priests themselves were sinful. Plus, the people just kept sinning, so the job was never-ending. It was continual. But here we see that Jesus sat down at the right hand of God demonstrating that his work as a better high priest was going to be significantly different from the Levites. Jesus was able to sit down at the right hand of God because he is the perfect sacrifice, and that perfect sacrifice had already been made. When Jesus sacrificed himself on the cross, he was able to provide atonement for all who would place their faith in him, for all their sins, past, present, and future. This sinless Son of God was the ultimate sacrifice. Not just ultimate in that it's the best that there could be, but also ultimate in that it was the last one that was necessary. So Jesus, or sorry, since Jesus does not need to continually offer sacrifices for sin, like the Old Testament priests did, he does not leave God's side. The work for atonement has been completed, so those sacrifices don't need to be continually made, and Jesus can sit at the right hand of God. But then the author describes Jesus as a minister of the sanctuary and the true tabernacle that was set up by the Lord and not man. All right, forgive me for a moment, but I've got to let my teacher side come out a little bit. In my sermon last year from October 25th, we talked about the tabernacle. Does anybody know or, or remember what the tabernacle was? Go ahead. It's where the Ark of the Covenant was. Okay. Yeah, so the, the tabernacle was basically a big tent that was, uh, it basically served as the mobile temple before the temple was built. And while the Israelites were wandering through the wilderness before entering the promised land, the tabernacle served as a temple that would move around with them. Then when the Israelites did enter the promised land, the tabernacle, it didn't travel as much, but it was still mobile. It moved around some. Um, then even after the period of the judges, when we get to the period of the kings, Saul was not interested in building a temple, so the tabernacle still served as a temple. Uh, David wanted to build a permanent temple instead of the tabernacle, but God said that David wasn't going to be the one to do it, but David's son would. So finally, Solomon was tasked with building the temple. But from the time of Moses all the way up to the time of Solomon, the Israel's third king, the tabernacle served as the temple. But now the author is saying that Jesus serves in the sanctuary and the true tabernacle. Well, what does he mean by that, the true tabernacle? Well, first, let's talk about the sanctuary. All right? In the sanctuary in the Old Testament, this was the, the innermost part of the temple. It was called the Holy of Holies, and this is where the Ark of the Covenant was. It was the innermost part of the temple where only the high priest could go, and only once a year. There's actually rumor that they would actually tie a rope around the high priest's waist, because if he would go into the, the innermost room, into the Holy of Holies with unconfessed sin or unatoned for sin, then he would poof, drop dead on the moment, or at, in that moment. And if nobody else was allowed to go in that room, then until next year, when the next high priest would do that, that, that wouldn't be good to have that body sitting in there for a year. So there was rumor 
that they would tie a rope around the high priest when he went in there. So if he did drop dead, they could pull him back out. There's no hard evidence that that happened, but it's a pretty strong rumor. Uh, But anyway, that Holy of Holies, that was the sanctuary. It represented the place where God is. It represented God's presence. But the author takes this sanctuary a step further and describes it as the true tabernacle. So why would this, where Jesus serves, why would this be the true tabernacle as opposed to the tabernacle and the sanctuary of the Old Testament? Well, if the tabernacle, or more specifically, the innermost room known as the Holy of Holies, is where the presence of God is, so this is where the presence of God is, then there is no man-made structure that could hold the presence of God. There's no man-made structure that could contain the presence of God. So God tells us this in Isaiah chapter 66, starting in verse 1. He says, uh, sorry, he says, This is what the Lord says, Heaven is my throne and the earth is my footstool. Where could you possibly build a house for me and where could my resting place be? So this true tabernacle then, according to Isaiah, would be heaven. The true tabernacle is in heaven. The tabernacle and later the temple in the Old Testament served as a symbolic representation of the true tabernacle. Though they had this representation of the true tabernacle, the earthen one was just, it was just that, only a representation, just a symbol of it. But the true tabernacle is in heaven. Well, that makes sense. If Jesus is serving in the true tabernacle and Jesus is seated at the right hand of God in heaven, then that makes sense that the true tabernacle is in heaven. Jesus serves as the greater high priest because he serves in the true tabernacle, not just a representation of the true tabernacle. But if he's not continually offering sacrifices there, like the Old Testament priests did, if he's not doing that, then what is he doing there? Well, we kind of give a little hint in that uh, if we pick up in verse 3. It says, For every high priest is appointed to offer gifts and sacrifices. Therefore, it was necessary for this priest also to have something to offer. Now, if he were on earth, he wouldn't be a priest, since there are those offering the gifts prescribed by the law. So he says, every high priest is appointed to offer gifts and sacrifices. Now, this goes back to what I said earlier. One of the main tasks of the priest was to offer sacrifices. This was a regular, ongoing part of the job. The priests would bring the sacrifices from the people to God and mediate between God and man. Now, not all of the sacrifices were animals. There were also grain sacrifices and wine sacrifices, and there were oil offerings. Um, But the priest was constantly taking these offerings from the people to God. Therefore, Jesus needed something to offer. Jesus had to have something to offer. Well, Jesus' sacrifice was himself. His own body and blood poured poured out as an offering to atone for our sins. This high priest... Our, our high priest, Jesus, did, uh, did not take the animal or grain or any other sacrifice from the people, but instead he offered himself. I can't stress this enough, though. This sacrifice was so much more effective than any previous sacrifice. This is the sinless, perfect, holy, omnipotent God who became man and came and lived among us sinful people and sacrificed himself on the cross for sinful humanity. This sacrifice is not just some sheep or goat or bird or wine or grain offering, but the most precious Son of God. Again, the ultimate sacrifice. Ultimate in that this sacrifice is better than any previous sacrifice, but also the final one that was necessary. Yes, this most precious sacrifice, 
given to atone for your sins. God loves you enough to give his one and only son to pay the price for your transgressions. If you have not placed your faith in him, then let today be the day so that he can rectify the relationship that you broke through your sins. If you have not yet made that call, then let today be that day. Then the author goes on to say, if he were on earth, he wouldn't be a priest, since there are those offering the gifts prescribed by law. See, under Mosaic law, this is the old covenant that we've talked about, under the Mosaic law, Jesus would not have been allowed to be a priest. He was not from the tribe of Levi, so he would automatically be excluded from the qualifications to be a priest. But also, Jesus' sacrifice was not something that would have been accepted under the Mosaic law. Uh, we see that in Deuteronomy chapter 18. It says, uh, When you come into the land that the Lord your God is giving you, you shall not learn to follow the abominable practices of those nations. There shall not be found among you anyone who burns his son or his daughter as an offering, or anyone who practices divination, or tells fortunes, or interprets omens, or a sorcerer, or a charmer, or a medium, or a necromancer, or anyone who inquires of the dead. For whoever does these things is an abomination to the Lord. So we see in Deuteronomy, within the Mosaic law, that child sacrifice was not an acceptable sacrifice. This is because we are made in the image of God, and taking another person's life is an abuse against the image of God. But Jesus' ministry is not according to the Mosaic law. Rather, he is in the order of Melchizedek. Now, I'm not saying that we should go around and sacrifice children, obviously. Uh, but rather that Jesus' sacrifice nullified the need for any other sacrifices. Uh, and then Jesus' sacrifice, or sorry, and since Jesus' sacrifice was the final sacrifice, he does not need to stay on earth making those sacrifices to mediate between God and man. So then, what was the purpose of the temple and the sacrifices? If Jesus was going to come along and, and undo all of it, what was the purpose of it? If the, the temple and the tabernacle in the Old Testament, wasn't the real tabernacle or the real sanctuary, then what was the purpose of it? Was, what, was it all just a waste? And, and we understand that they are unnecessary now, but what was their purpose then? Well, if we keep reading, the author answers that for us. He says, These serve as a copy and shadow of the heavenly things, as Moses was warned when he was about to complete the tabernacle. For God said, Be careful that you make everything according to the pattern that was shown to you on the mountain. But Jesus has now obtained a superior ministry, and to that degree he is the mediator of a better covenant, which has been established on better premises. He says, These serve as a copy and shadow of the heavenly things. The these that he's talking about, that's the Old Testament temple, the Old Testament tabernacle, the Old Testament sanctuary, and all those sacrifices that were done under the Mosaic law. Other translations where we have this word copy can also be translated as sketch. I think both of these words are a good representation of the idea that the author is trying to portray here. The tabernacle and the Old Testament priests were just a snapshot or a preview of Jesus' ministry and the true tabernacle in heaven. Their purpose all along was to, was to point to the real thing, and that was Jesus and his ministry. The author of Hebrews says that Moses knew this. It says, Moses was warned when he was about to complete the tabernacle. For God said, be careful that you make everything according to the pattern that was shown to you on the mountain. Now, in your Bible, the second, her the second half of verse 5 should be bold. And that means that it's a quote from the Old Testament. I would go back and, and um, bring you, read you this quote from Exodus, 
but there isn't any need because it is a direct word-for-word -word quote of the last verse in Exodus 25. It says the exact same thing. So, but the whole chapter here of Exodus 25, the whole chapter, obviously too long to read here, it describes the exact dimensions and the materials that uh, God told uh, of how Moses, how God told Moses to build the temple, and all of its furnishings. But we must ask ourselves, what was this pattern that that God showed Moses on the mountain? What the author of Hebrews is saying is that Moses was given a glimpse into heaven to see the real tabernacle, or at least God showed him a vision of the real tabernacle and said, now go and try to recreate this with your human hands and the materials that you have available on earth, knowing that it's not going to really, it, or it's going to fall short of the real tabernacle. It's not going to live up to the glory and the wonder of the real tabernacle. The Old Testament tabernacle was always meant to point to the real tabernacle in heaven, or the true tabernacle in heaven. Then the author finalizes his argument with this bombshell statement. He says, Jesus has now obtained a superior ministry, and to that degree he is a mediator of a better covenant, which has been established on better premises, or sorry, better promises. Now this is, this really is that summary statement of everything going all the way back to Hebrews chapter 4, where this Jesus is greater than the high priest argument started. So he says, Jesus is greater than the Old Testament priests because his ministry is superior due to ministering in the true tabernacle. The covenant he serves under is better because it is a covenant of grace instead of a covenant of law. And then the promise is better because Jesus' ministry actually does draw us near to God, whereas the Old Testament priests' ministry could not draw us near to God. So there's that, that summary there from the last uh, five, six sermons, all now brought here under one statement. Jesus has now obtained a superior ministry, and to that degree, he is a mediator of a better covenant, which has been established on better premises. So we get to our point of application, and <clears throat> our application always comes from our definition of, of a disciple, which comes from Matthew 4.19, where Jesus says, follow me, and I will make you fish for people. And from that, we get our three indicators of a disciple, which is knowing, being, and doing. And so our no application is to know that Jesus is greater than the Old Testament priests. Now, I won't spend too much time on this now because I've spent the last I don't know, two months or so talking about this. Um, it's been the overarching theme of this mini-series within a series. So I'm just going to repeat what the author of Hebrews said here in verse 6. Jesus has now obtained a superior ministry, and to that degree, he is a mediator of a better covenant, which has been established on better promises. Our second application point, the B application, is to be under Jesus' priesthood. We're no longer under the Mosaic Covenant. These Old, Testament, old, old, <laughs> these old Testament laws don't apply to us anymore. Now, that doesn't mean that we ignore the Old Testament laws. We can learn about God's character through those laws. To know, to know, God, <laughs> man. To know God more, we, we have to study this Old Testament law. But we're not bound by those laws. We are under a new covenant, which is a, a covenant of grace. We are saved by faith through grace, not by our works. If it was our works that saved us, then it would be our works that continue to save us. But it was not our works that saved us. And if it was not our works that saved us, then it cannot be our works that continue to hold our salvation. It was our faith that saves us, and it is through our faith that we show our continued salvation. It is through continued faith in Jesus that we demonstrate our salvation. But now that we are saved, Jesus serves as our high priest. 
He is sitting at God's right hand, constantly interceding for us. Now, living with that knowledge gives us the power to be obedient to Jesus' teachings. So that's our third application point. The do is to live according to Jesus' teaching. This means that we know and understand his teaching. Well, in order to know and understand Jesus' teaching, we have to study our Bibles. And not just to study it for knowledge. Yes, we want to study our Bibles for knowledge, but we study our Bibles to impact our lives. Our knowledge about the Bible should lead to a heart change, which leads to a behavioral change. Our faith is not just a faith that we understand something. Our faith is a faith that changes our behavior because we have a new Lord, a new Savior, and a new high priest. We live according to his teachings. Now, a major part of Jesus' teaching and our daily mission is the Great Commission. Matthew 28, 18 to 20 says, it says, uh, Jesus came near and said to them, All authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe everything I have commanded you. And remember, I am with you always to the end of the age. Now, it may not be so popular or considered polite to make disciples, but our king and our priest has commissioned us to that task. Will we be obedient to him or will we be obedient to popular culture and political correctness? I pray that we as a church will choose to follow Jesus which is why our vision is worshiping God by making disciples through the gospel of Jesus Christ. So how are you being intentional in disciple-making in your life? What are you doing to help others to grow closer to God while growing closer to God yourself? So our three application points again is to know that Jesus is greater than the Old Testament priests, to be under Jesus' priesthood, and to live according to Jesus' teachings. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, Lord, we praise you Again, for your word. We thank you that you have preserved your word for us. We pray this morning that you will help us to live obedient to Jesus' teachings. We pray that you will help us to, to know that we are under his ministry, under his priesthood. Because his priesthood is what the Old Testament priests were pointing to all along. He serves in the true tabernacle, at your side, interceding for us all the time. There is no break in his intercessions for us. So we pray, Father, that you will help us to be obedient to your word. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Thank you again for listening to this week's message. If you would like to know more information about our church, please visit VictoryBaptistHopeMills.com or Facebook.com slash VBCHopeMills. I would also like to ask that you rate and review this podcast. And if you found this sermon helpful, please share it.